When you realize what your future can be, you want to do it right. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs, plus personalized support from success coaches, so you can get to the future that's right for you. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How's it going? It's going all right. Looked for you over in the studio, and you weren't there, so I, I showed up here on No. Um, you know, we are, we are remote today. I'm a little bit under the weather, but uh, that, you know, neither rain nor sleet nor dark of night will stop the uh, recording of a TopCast podcast. Uh-huh. Now the USPS is going to sue us, but okay, that's you know, that's, that's fine. But the Let them try. <laughs> the principle is there. They can't stop us. We're going to podcast no matter what. No, that's, that's, right. that's good. Did you uh, did you brew yourself some like tea instead of coffee today? Uh, no, I actually do have coffee. Um, I got my nice UCF mug. I'm Ooh, drinking out nice. of, and and this is one of my one of my standbys. It's just a, a San Francisco Bay hazelnut. Mm-hmm. Um, something or other. It's good, though. Oh, good. Well, I nevertheless, even though I was um, brewing solo, uh, I, I have brought um, thematically connected coffee, or at least I, I'm taking a swing at it, so you, you tell me. So my coffee today, Tom, in my vintage Star Wars, when it was called Star Wars travel mug, is a single-origin Nicaragua from within the Nueva Segovia region, specifically from the San Fernando municipality, where there are a lot of coffee farms. I looked it up. It's like it's like a, a farm for every 50 people in this area. And almost all of the coffee is shade-grown, as you might know that phrase. So rather than reap the industrialized efficiencies of leveling forests in order to maintain neat little rows of coffee bushes, shade-grown coffee just means that the coffee plants coexist under the sheltering canopy of the native trees. And there are many benefits to the land, the wildlife, and according to many, the taste of the coffee. I'm generally pro-shade for many reasons. You know, like, it's hot in Florida, and as you know, we have some lovely shade trees out around uh, our offices, and like to avail myself of there. So, I'm going to say this is a, a tasty Nicaragua, but could you, listening to the description, find some kind of a connection to today's episode topic? Um, I'll be honest, I wasn't hearing it. A lot of talk about shade trees, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I like, there's probably something there, but I'm, I don't know if I'm quite grokking the connection. And for the listening audience, you should know that since we moved into our new building, what was it, like two years ago now? Is that right? <laughs> Seems wow. like ten. Ten, yeah, I know. I know. Wow. Yeah, two years. But Kelvin, ha- he keeps a couple of lawn chairs in his trunk, and he will set them up under the chair, the shade trees, and uh, we'll have meetings uh, with, with colleagues uh, under the shade trees. It's actually pretty cool. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, you design for that, and, uh, and it happens. And... I think despite your protestations, you have indeed grokked the connection because sitting under the shade is a great setting for good conversation. And uh, it, it is what we might say more natural and less, you know, industrialized or artificial. But, uh, you know, it's uh, in the 
just like the, the, the Nicaraguan shade-grown coffee, even though it's more natural and less industrialized, they still are built for scale. They're, you know, I'm drinking their coffee, and I, I don't live in Nicaragua, right? So, so there's a balance there somewhere, more, more natural approach to something at scale. So we're going to talk today about the potential platform and tool um, benefit uh, that we might classify as discussion-enhancing. Discussion-enhancing. That's what we're shooting for. I get it now. Yeah, okay. So maybe I was getting it without getting yeah, it. Yeah, uh, exactly. You were smarter you were, than I thought I was. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, you're, you're just as smart as I thought you were. Make it that <laughs> All right. what you will. Make it that yeah, what you will. Th- yeah, really. Yeah, thanks, Kelvin. Um, uh, so, yes, we are going to be talking about discussion enhancement tools. These are things that you can add to your learning management system to extend the capabilities of the kind of inherent out-of-the-box discussion capabilities that they have. And um, it's something that we've been looking into recently um, with some colleagues. I'm sure we'll talk about that to uh, to see what we can do to try to extend the um, the engagement, the, um, the kind of efficacy, the substantive meaningfulness of these conversations at scale, you know, because you use those words, and I think that's important, especially in a place like UCF, where we have 70,000 students. How do you have meaningful conversations online in a kind of threaded, asynchronous discussion at scale? And it's hard. (laughs) And I will be the first to admit that um, in my classes, I have kind of defaulted often to the the perfunctory... um, Post by Wednesday, comment on two colleagues by Sunday, um, you know, kind of discussions. And, and, and I'll be honest, in some classes it works really well, and in other classes it doesn't. So, like, I'm teaching one right now. It's a summer class, and uh, I've only taught grad courses at UCF. And that kind of a prompt tends to work really well with the kind of graduate-level writing classes that I teach professional writing classes and the, sometimes I have to kind of like chill out folks because they they really get into the conversations uh-huh. because they're graduate students and they care about this subject but when I've taught similar things at another institution at the undergraduate level that kind of prompt just doesn't it just didn't have the same result so yeah. I really I really understand why uh, or at least kind of intuitively I'll use that word again, grok, the value of, uh, of why you would want a tool like this at scale, especially for like undergrad students. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, just to maybe hit a couple of recap points, right? Um, asynchronous online discussions have been um, almost, maybe not synonymous with, but certainly connected to, bolted in uh, to what we think of as online education for 25 years. But we are, as you've hinted, uh, hearing more and more complaints, uh, either from students or you go to conference presentations, you'll find uh, sprinkled throughout sessions that say something about getting beyond online discussions or doing better or improving or replacing or whatever, right? And and there's probably some reasons for that. Um, I thought, though, we might just comment a little bit that we're not necessarily saying uh, online education, online discussions, bad. I mean, there are pros, there are some cons, but there's pros. Um, like historically, right? Some of the benefits we see is if, unlike a, a classroom-based conversation, you can hear from everyone in uh, in an online 
discussion, right? Everybody can everybody has a voice. I like to say sometimes. Yeah, everybody absolutely. Can make that's a post. that's one of the main pros that has historically been been kind of you know put on the table for online courses and online instruction. Um, that the the quiet person in the back of the room or in the back of the lecture hall mm -hmm. uh, who's shy has an equal opportunity and voice with the more kind of aggressive hand raiser in the front of the room to, to kind of have their contribution heard. Yeah, good for non-native language speakers, good for users of assistive technologies, um, as you say, folks who want to kind of gather their thoughts before speaking out, all that's good. But then I think, you know, I've thought about uh, characterizing the, the complaints uh, along the lines of like, text, blah. <laughs> you know? You yeah, know? there have been, um, we're not going to really talk a lot about this, but I know that there have been, you know, various tools developed yeah, that use sure. kind of threaded video and some other yes, and audio yes. and some other stuff. And I think those are interesting. Um, it, it, Maybe in the age of post-COVID Zoom, you know, it's not as big a deal um, because people can kind of do that much more. It, it's much more accessible to have a kind of a video conversation now um, live. But uh, but the asynchronous side, I guess, is maybe where the value proposition of some of, some of those tools. Well, and uh, on that point, right, as we've talked about in some recent episodes uh, here, um, onlineness, right, uh, You've got to do, if, if you are uh, selling, if you will, a, an asynchronous online course, and then there's, you've got to be selective about what you do with synchronous elements, right? So that you don't um, get in the way of the uh, access affordances of that online modality. So, yeah, there are things you can do, and, and you know, we talked, you know, in those episodes about that kind of thing. Um, it's probably good without getting into a whole lot of detail just to say that, you know, this is one of those areas that's reasonably well-researched online uh, asynchronous discussions. There's a lot of stuff, in, including shout out to friend of TopCast, Dr. Susan Wegman, who's got a whole line of inquiry around online uh, discussions. Just, just Google the phrase connected stance and you will find uh, a number of uh, publications and other resources uh, from uh, Susan and collaborators, uh, and in and in professional practice literature, our own um, hosted here at UCF Teaching Online Pedagogical Repository or Topper, our online compendium of online and blended teaching practices. There's almost fifty five zero almost entries related in some way to. <laughs> online discussions. I mean, so there's lots of stuff uh, out here, but that doesn't mean that we can't do better, right? I mean, faculty development can help, preparing faculty, but for today's topic, technologies. Technologies might be able to scaffold effective practices at scale. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, the, uh, at, the, at the end, you know, just to kind of reiterate a theme that we've been on maybe for the last year, um, it's all about the design, you know, it's all about how you use these tools. Um, but, but I don't think you're wrong that in, in some cases, like the, the out of the box core functionality of the uh, threaded discussion that comes with the standard vanilla LMS, um, it does leave something to be desired. You know, I, I, there are things that some of these, you know, plug-in platforms offer that the that the LMS just just doesn't. 
and they may be what you need to kind of just add that extra spice to your to your online program. Yeah, so we thought that we might just sort, we're not going to name names <laughs> of any providers, but we thought we might talk a little bit about some of the kinds of enhancement to online discussion that uh, some of these tools and platforms afford, and then maybe riff a little bit on, you know, kind of based on that, what do you do with, you know, kind of decision making. And um, as you alluded already, Tom, uh, we did have a little uh, recent last year uh, faculty-led um, task force reviewing a whole bunch of tools and platforms uh, co-led it's like 20 by... 20 of them, right? We yeah, started it started yeah. off with this big list and then got it down a little narrower, 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 narrower. So that was a that was a pretty good exercise, right? Uh, that was led by um, Dr. Carolyn Messiah from our College of Business and Dr. Amy Denoyles, one of our senior instructional designers here at uh, the Center for Distributed Learning. Um, so... This, this, this conversation sits a little bit on top of, uh, of their, their work, um, I think. Yeah, well, and, and much appreciation to them because that was a, it was a large undertaking. You sort of charged that, that group, and they had some faculty colleagues that they, that they were chairing that task force. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought they did really, really great work and, and allowed us to kind of narrow it down and, and ultimately make at least make a choice to do a, a limited pilot with, with one of the was one of the choices. But honestly, one of the things that, that I was uh, pleasantly, I guess, I don't know if I want to say surprised, but I was, I was just pleased with at the end. So kind of like the top three, they were all good. Yeah, they each right. had their, their separate advantages and disadvantages, but uh, any of those three, I think, um, would have, will have improved potentially what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Although, I'll say that it's not like they were the same, I don't know, I'll use automotive, automobiles, the same car in three different colors. It wasn't like no. that. No, you're right. <laughs> like, you know, one was a stick shift because you like to drive that way, and the other was an automatic, and the other one had four-wheel drive or whatever. You yes, know? very distinct yeah. affordances, yeah, different things. Which, maybe it's helpful, I tried to uh, go back to the uh, the rubric-based process that they use, and I tried to categorize thematically. So failures <laughs> here, uh, shortcomings are on me, not on not on them. Um, but just to kind of make some sense of the kinds of features that the uh, faculty group that uh, Dr. Messiah and Dr. Denoyles worked with, uh, they said, you know, what what's important to you, uh, so that they could kind of be consistent in. Uh, reviewing and, and ranking, rating. And uh, these are some of the, the, the kinds of features that, that I saw. Um, we can maybe bounce back and forth with some of these uh, and comment maybe uh, a moment or two about them. There's certainly uh, some uh, benefit the faculty were looking for in what we might call automation, you know, because it can be very laborious kind of work uh, wading through online discussions. So automating things like word count, citation check, plagiarism check. Um, did student Tom, how many posts has he made? You know, and how many discussion, uh, how many responses? And just having like a little summary, automating that without having to go through and manually account for all that stuff was something that yeah. the faculty found desirable. Yeah, and I, I get it. Especially, I mean, again, to underscore the, the, the topic of scale, um, Maybe some people listening to this cl- to this podcast have classes that that 
at their institutions. Like, well, you know, we cap our online classes at 30. I don't get it. Like, okay, if you do that, then I understand why you don't get it. Um, but when you've got hundreds in some of your online classes, that are, and I'm not saying all our classes are like that, but no, some are. We've got some outliers that are really large. And, um, you know, and there's teaching assistance usually associated with that, but it's still hard to grade all of those discussions. And so this is sort of the, the base foundational like measure this automation just counting stuff did the students for compliance almost did you hit the word count did you respond mm -hmm. the right number of times and that's not nothing you know when you've got hundreds of students um, and then it allows you to kind of focus on the more higher order things that you're trying to get at in that discussion yeah and these categories may overlap a little bit but that what you said there makes me think of, uh, of another uh, category that I refer to as feedback support Right, so a key role of the instructor is providing meaningful feedback um, in uh, on learning activities uh, that students are engaged with, and so kind of aligning with that automation theme, um, feedback support we might think of as a combination of automatic and instructor-provided feedback, uh, and so some of the things that we saw surface were multiple ways to easily view easily view and provide feedback on individual student contributions, built-in analytic summaries, like uh, one of the things that was aspirational was like, let me see the time invested by the students. Let me see the number of accesses that they've made. Let me see the level of influence or connection between students. Like that would be value add. That would help me provide more meaningful feedback to the student. So that builds on that automation theme. Yeah, and I mean, there were even some that I thought were kind of interesting that, that had to do kind of with like student-to-student -student kind of interactions where you could like like other students' mm -hmm. posts and upvote them and do kind of peer review. Um, you know, one of the things that I kind of tell, especially at this grad level, my students, that, um, that the, the discussions are sort of, on some of these topics, it's their space and they need to engage with each other um, especially at the graduate level. And um, I'm not going to, like, jump in and say good post on all of them, right? You know, it's like I'm just going to make sure it doesn't go off the rails. I'm going to chime in with something that I notice or if I'm going to add a, like, here's an article that, that you might find interesting based on it or whatever it is, but mostly let them kind of own it. And, and I think some of these tools allow that at a much greater level at scale um, where, where the students can interact with each other. They're used to social media conventions like upvoting and liking and, and um, you know, those kinds of, those kinds of like ways to indicate support for something that somebody else has said. Mm -hmm. You want to comment on any of these other feature categories? Um, well, you've called something malleability. I didn't you know. have a better name for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of like that idea, though, but maybe, um, you know, kind of like customization mm -hmm. is maybe another way of, of putting sure. that, where it's like students have some some autonomy to kind of change the ways of displaying the discussions, to, to regroup them or, or sort them in kind of different, different ways. Um, you know, uh, multi-part due dates for the same discussions, that's more of a faculty thing because uh, a lot of times it's like, well, post by Wednesday and then right. respond by Sunday. But you don't want to divide that into two discussion graded like items in your grade book because then it gets crazy. So, you know, some some more flexibility um, or malleability. That's that's an interesting one, too, both on the student and the faculty side. Exactly right. Exactly right. On, on 
either either side and just it, it feels more I think the reason I kind of went with that word malleability it feels a little bit more organic right it's you can shape it a bit more uh, rather than it shaping you, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, that's aspirational. Uh, spe- speaking of aspirational, certainly one of the other areas that our faculty group reviewing these kinds of platforms uh, looked at, uh, surfaced as, as things that were desirable, um, was kind of these aspirational goals, things that are more high-minded, like, like affecting critical thinking or student empowerment, or you've already hinted at this a little bit, fostering community, like a learning community fostering that, or problem solving or social learning. Like, you know, that those are kind of big things. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, that's kind of you know, one of the primary purposes behind an online asynchronous threaded discussion. It's to foster community, a community of learning, community of practice, to, um, to to engage the students with the material in a way that's different than just watch this video, take this test. You know, it's learning is inherently social in, in, in many contexts. I mean, obviously you can read a book and learn something, but the way instruction has historically been designed, it, it does have a social element. And so how do you do that effectively online where you're not in the room together. Um, you know, this is one strategy. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think that some of these tools help you, help you to facilitate that. Yeah, for sure. Now, again, uh, to, state, to restate the, the obvious, a skilled online instructor can probably achieve some of those aspirational goals with native out-of-the-box LMS-based discussions, um, and they can do that through a variety of um, experience, you know, doing it, you get better at it, uh, faculty development, faculty professional development, um, resources, professional practice uh, literature, certainly research literature. There's all kinds of themes. Uh, we might uh, throw out a bibliography or annotated bibliography to our TopCast Insiders plug uh, for, for that uh, on some of the literature, because there's a lot, right? So you can, you can develop skill, but again, if, if technologies can help make it more likely than not that you'll have a successful instructor-slash-student experience at scale, then that's maybe a good thing. But there's pros and cons to all this. There's things to, to grapple with as you consider, right, uh, making, we're assuming that these things come with a price tag, we're making a purchase yeah. decision. <laughs> so maybe we'll wrap up with, with some of those themes, you think, some of those topics, some of those issues that we've seen? Yeah, let's do that. So, I mean, obviously the, the first and most important criterion to consider is does, does it does it meet your needs? Does it does it accomplish the goals that you're that you're looking for? Because there's a lot of cool tools out there, but are they really moving the needle on the kinds of measures that you know, like student engagement, student success? You know, all, you know, are they getting better grades? You know, all of that stuff. Um, are they retaining because they're engaged and find it interesting? You know, and to your point, to the point you just made, you know, I sometimes when people bring up the idea of like media in courses, like there's not enough video in this course or something like, you know, I, some of the most engaging courses I've ever s- seen are not, they don't have any media in them. They're just, they make really active use of things like threaded discussions and others. But, but to your point, it, it takes effort and design and intentionality to, to do that. 
So that would be the first one. Just you know, mm -hmm. is is it aligned with your objectives, and you know, is it is it facilitating that? Yeah, and there's a couple that are maybe related here, like, and we've we've seen this uh, even coming out of this practical um, faculty task force work. A given tool or platform, and and I kind of use that back and forth because you know, is it just a a smaller scale you know tool that you plug in to the LMS, or is it like a a platform you know, that's that's sort of uh, adjacent to the LMS uh, that that touches on this. That is, are you going to replace the built-in LMS discussion functionality, as in that comes away and this new thing goes in, or are these two things going to sit there next to each other um, as uh, options? That's that's a that's a significant decision point. It is. You're right, and it's non-trivial because it has a lot to do with teaching your faculty, you know, how to how to facilitate and design, uh, you know, this kind of discussion interaction, as well as students. Um, and and then say if it's not being used in every class, then students are going to have to figure out how to navigate between multiple ways of interacting with their with their classmates and their faculty, whether it's in the embedded inherent you know LMS discussion forum or this other thing that's going to replace it in some classes, you know, there's a certain cognitive load associated with jumping back and forth in different ways of doing the same thing in different classes. Yeah, and related to that, um, I guess there's two other things related to that. One is when you make a decision, whatever that decision is related to uh, uh, an enhancement, uh, a discussion enhancement platform, is that going to be institution-wide? It's just everywhere, or is it going to be it's available institution-wide, but it's going to be opt-in? Or is it going to be deployed just at specific programs uh, somehow? You know, is it just, is it niche uh, somehow? And I'll, I'll double-barrel this, and then that's related to cost, right? I was just about <laughs> to say that, because you know I would. Um, yeah, because th those two things are related, you know. It's, and we've said this before, when, when you're at an institution of our size, Anytime you do a pilot, you have to you have to kind of think for, at the very beginning, what if? What if we like this and we want to scale it across the entire institution? What will that cost? And usually, you know, we're in the um, call us tier of the of the pricing schedule. <laughs> yeah. you know? How much is this? Call us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's always FTE based, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so we have to always think about all right. You know, can can we even consider this? Because when the if we like it and it does scale, then um, then we have to be able to sustain it. Otherwise, it's not worth even like starting and finding some other some other potential solution. But uh, having said that, um, we we do like to start with the pilot and mm -hmm. to learn <laughs> how does this work, um, learn how to support it. Um, get some faculty champions um, to get some success so that they can carry the message if it, if, if it works, not us. Because as we all know, faculty re will respond to their peers and colleagues a lot more than they will to sort of us in kind of central distance learning support um, and, um, and, and kind of expand it from there in our adoption strategy. And, and we do try to be really intentional about an adoption strategy. We don't just buy something and plug mm -hmm. it into the LMS and let people discover it, you know, because that's just not going to work. We, we do 
want to have a, a deliberate rollout plan. Um, and then plus a pilot lets us decide, you know what, maybe this isn't working. I'm glad we didn't write the full FTE license because we're going to reconsider um, or adjust or whatever the case might be. Yeah, I mean, that all that just seems like it just screams wisdom, right? I mean, that's prudent uh, to do that. But, but to, your, to your latter point there, right, while you want as clean, smooth, hassle-free uh, rollout as possible, I mean, I think this is, this is a truism. No tool or platform is truly turnkey. It's not going to just work, right? There's going to be uh, communication clarity that's needed with faculty, with students, uh, training, maybe for both groups in how to use this effectively. Even though we're talking about technology tools that scaffold effective practices, there's still some degree of how do you use this thing and how do you, you know, how do you, how do you achieve the intended benefit? And then I think that takes us to, is the benefit of the new platform greater than the effort to invest in faculty preparation to just better use existing online discussions? Yeah, and if it's not, then pull the plug on your on your project. But uh, I, I do think there's value add in a lot of these these yes. platforms, and and you know that's one reason that's why we're looking at them and kind of doing our own little experimentation. Um, but but you're right, no no platform is turnkey. There's always a change management. You have to. There's a learning curve associated with using it effectively, and you're probably going to want to walk before you run and. and flipping every dial and switch on that particular, you know, new tool uh, for faculty. Um, plus, there's technical integrations. You know, obviously for us, a, a table stakes requirement is the uh, LTI mm -hmm. uh, standard for a tool like this. But even then, sometimes, depending upon the platform, especially if it's not LTI certified. Uh, I just got back from learning impact. So one end tech, I got I to gotta represent the brand. Um, uh, but even if it's not, sometimes there are other extra little things, whether it's, you know, um, adjustments and, you know, API or whatever that you have to kind of plug in there uh, to, to make it work. It Rarely is it ever, oh, okay, you know, here's the key and it just plugs right in, especially if you're doing a pilot that's limited. It's like, sorry, we have to limit access to this particular sub-account or whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. I see that uh, our time is dwindling and my coffee cup is just about Mine too. About yours. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So you want me to try to land the plane here? Please do. Wrap it up for us, Tom. All right. So um, I think I think we can say that these flexible forms of substantive interaction between students and instructors will probably remain an important part of online education. Mm -hmm. uh, new tools for enhancing online discussions can help us ensure that these opportunities remain fresh, robust, and meaningful. Yeah, that's what we want. Fresh, robust, and meaningful. I like that. That's yes. that's good. That would be good. That would robust, be good. like like I'm sure the coffee that you had today that was intended for me too. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. No, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, it's good to join you, even if remotely via this uh, magical uh, video window. Uh, we'll look forward to having a, a shared cup of coffee across the table from each other soon, and. Uh, until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.